Before we begin the sermon proper, I recognize it is a holiday weekend. I assume you're not loaded up with hot dogs and carbs yet, but I also know the holiday weekend can kind of make you a little sluggish. So here's what I want to do to start off the sermon. I need you kind of with energy and on my side. So let's stand up. Stand up where you are. And I want to kind of shake it out a little bit. Shake it out. Get a little energy flowing. Get a little blood flowing. The kids were just up here, but you guys were just sitting there watching them dance. And that's no good. So we got to get some energy flowing. Okay. Okay. We got a little blood flowing, a little heart pounding. Look good. Now go ahead and have a seat. Cool. Now that you're awake. All right. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, if you've heard me preach before, especially around holidays, you know that I, I love a good, terrible joke. Love a good, terrible joke. I've got three this year uh, when it comes to Independence Day. Well, the first, uh, do you know the difference between George Washington and a duck? One has a bill on its face and the other has his face on a bill. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you call a patriotic curly-haired dog? A Yankee poodle. I really wanted to tell a knock-knock joke uh, to, to close this out of the nice third joke. I looked and I looked and I looked. Apparently, there are no knock-knock jokes about America. No, because freedom rings. So, Let's go to God in prayer. All right, Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for what you do for us every single day, for bringing us here today, whether in person or online, getting the chance to worship you. And Lord, I pray that you bless this time. Lord, I thank you for the chance to share your message. Lord, let it be your message. Let it be your truth proclaimed in spite of me. (laughs) Uh, Lord, preach beyond me. I trust that you will do that, and I trust that the Holy Spirit will speak to each and every one of us uh, as we hear these words. Lord, speak now. In your name we pray. Amen. Special welcome to those of you joining online. It is great to have you with us. Oh, I've got a little wave over there. How are you doing? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but my job, being a pastor, it's a weird job, right? Within the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, the church body that we belong to, um, to become a pastor requires a graduate degree. I went and got a Master's of Divinity, which meant that I sat in basically four years of school learning some really, really heady and complex theological concepts, things like um, uh, alien righteousness, things like the the Donatist heresy, things like Arminianism. I had to learn all these different things, uh, which were great, but then they don't help a lot when it comes to the daily life of a pastor. I know you guys are thinking, like, daily life? You're here one hour a Sunday. What do you even do the rest of the time, right? Well, as a church, we have to focus on uh, how to connect you guys the other 167 hours of the week, right? We get you for one hour right here, right now, but uh, there are 167 other hours. How are you connecting to God during that time? And so just, just this past week, there was one day, this is just one day, as a pastor, theologically trained with the Masters of Divinity, I dressed up as a spaceman for the skit for VBS, I then went and, uh, and counseled somebody going through a very traumatic life experience, had to discuss the finer points of workers' compensation, look at a, the organizational budget and make sense of that. I spent some time cleaning the pool filter on our fountain out there. Um, I also then had to translate the rite of baptism into Spanish because, as I mentioned last week, we had our, our Spanish-speaking baptism uh, just yesterday. They went great. Thank you, Evelyn, for helping out with that. Uh, and this was just like one day going across that entire gamut 
of stuff. Oh, and by the way, I still had to write a sermon, right? And you would think, well, okay, the sermon's the easy part. That's the part that at least you're trained for, and usually that's the case. But this week, did you see those readings? Did you see that gospel reading? It's like one of them... Truly, I looked it up. Most Protestant churches skip this reading in the lectionary, this gospel reading, because it just doesn't, like, okay, I thought I understood Jesus' whole vibe, right? But suddenly he's saying, I don't come to bring peace, but a sword. I'm going, hold on, your whole thing is like peace and love. And, I mean, for your birthday, every year we put a banner up that says peace with like an angel playing a trumpet, right? Do we need to cross that out and put sword underneath it? What's the deal? It seems like Jesus is kind of going against what he normally teaches in this gospel reading. And so, yeah, when it came to writing the sermon this week, I was like, I don't know where this is going to go. But I think some of it is understanding that the context in which we're reading it is very different than the context in which it was spoken. In fact, the language in which it was spoken is different than what we're reading it in. I've talked about this a couple times. Um, for instance, the word life, uh, you find your life, give up your life, Jesus gets your life, that whole thing. The word life that's used there is interesting in Greek because it not only means your temporal, like your heart is beating and your brain is active kind of life, but also it means your soul. And so it's kind of a play on you may lose your, your life here in this world, but you gain your soul. In the same way, that word for peace can be interpreted in a couple different ways. Yes, there's the, the peace that we usually refer to when it comes to God, when, uh, that Messiah peace, like I'm saved, so I have this peace about me, this almost relaxation, right? It's a kind of a trust. That's the peace that we put on the banner at Christmas time. But peace can also, in some sense, become complacency. It can become, you think of peace in terms of war, it's a lack of conflict, a lack of tension. And certainly Jesus did not come to bring a lack of tension in the world. In fact, what he's talking about is that what he is teaching can be divisive. And when he's saying that, you know, father against son and mother against daughter, and I love that it includes mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, because we're like, yeah, we get that one. Like that, obviously, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. But when it comes to the other two, okay, parent against kid, right? Like what he's saying there is you may even have disagreements about my teachings within your family. But the mission and the ministry matters more. Jesus' teachings matter more than even your family relationships. And so this idea of Jesus coming not to bring no tension, not to bring the absence of conflict. Instead, if you look at pretty much all of Jesus' teachings, one of the main things he taught about was tension. This tension between the world and God's way. The way of the world, the, the lies of the devil, the way things go, and the way of God. He constantly is comparing those two things and, and showing that tension. And so I get a chance now to use one of those heady theological things that I learned at seminary. It's something called the two kingdoms theory. And the two kingdoms theory goes basically like this, that there are, are two kingdoms, the left-hand kingdom and the right-hand kingdom. The left-hand kingdom, often called the kingdom of power, is about law and order. It's about recognizing that we live in a broken world and there needs to be some form of government. There needs to be some form of, of the way things should go. There need to be, to put it pretty bluntly, repercussions to wrongdoing, right? 
This is where government sits. This is where, where law and justice sit. But then there's the right-hand kingdom, often called the kingdom of glory or the kingdom of grace. And this is where you find eternity. This is where you find the gospel. This is where you find forgiveness and love and compassion for all people. And these two things, the, the left-hand kingdom and the right-hand kingdom, exist in tension simultaneously. Every body is subject to this. The church, a, a pastor, we're all subject to these two kingdoms kind of overlapping and this, this tension that we have to balance. To illustrate this, to get you a better understanding of this, these are real-life, true story examples from previous churches that I, I uh, worked at. Uh, we had a new executive director come in. It was a, a church with a school attached to it. And as she was kind of looking through the books, she realized that there were a number of families that hadn't paid their tuition in some time. And so she went called the principal in and said, hey, what's our, what's our plan for collecting this money? Like, well, what's, what's, the, what's the system here? And he said, well, you know, we're a Christian school and, and we want to be forgiving. And she was like, I don't think the electric company is going to see it that way, right? We're still going to have to pay those bills and this is our income. We still have to be a company, a corporation. We still have to make sure that ends meet. Yeah, I get being forgiving and loving, but at the end of the day, we have a responsibility. And our bills aren't going to be good with just saying, well, you know, it's, it's fine. We'll forgive you. So that's left-hand kingdom, right? Recognizing that even the church has to operate within being a worldly organization. The right-hand kingdom is another example, same church, actually. We went on a middle school mission trip. Uh, to an inner city uh, place up actually in St. Louis. We were staying at, at a school in the inner city, kind of a, a lower socioeconomic status area. Uh, and there were some community kids that were helping us out throughout the week. Well, one of the other youth leaders, he was charging his phone, had it sitting on a windowsill and came back and it was gone. They used, you know, find my phone and all that. And they, they found that actually one of the, the kids who'd been helping them, who had some legal trouble, he'd been in and out of jail a couple of times, uh, Juvie, um, had taken it and had it at his house. And so the leader of the mission that was there in St. Louis said, okay, well, we'll we're going to call the police and we'll get this taken care of. And our youth leader said, no, this kid knows law. He knows the law. He knows uh, what it means to be condemned. This is an opportunity for us to show gospel. This is an opportunity for us to show grace. And so they went to the kid's house and, and they got the phone back, but they said, he, he actually looked the kid in the eye and said, I forgive you. And the kid just burst out tearing because he'd never been forgiven before. He'd always been held accountable. And so I, I'm reminded of uh, my pre-seminary director at Concordia University, Irvine, that he always said that the left-hand kingdom and the right-hand kingdom was like a boxer, right-handed boxer, that you jab away with that left, that those repercussions of sin, that reminder of how short we have come, the need for a savior, right? You jab away with justice, and then ultimately what makes the connection is that right-hand hook coming in, the gospel that just devastates us and realizes, I've my whole life thought that I'm this broken person, but God comes in with the gospel and says, you are worthy of love, and that's what changes lives. And so we have to live in balance of these two things, right? It's the same mindset, by the way, when it comes to this left-hand kingdom and right-hand kingdom and, and seeing these two things get too enmeshed, too confused, too together. Um, that, uh, just recently, I've seen on social media where people, uh, apropos of kind of what's going on in the country at the moment, uh, they're saying, you know, if we're going to be a biblical country, according to Deuteronomy 15, you're supposed to forgive debts after seven years. 
And, uh, and I, I laugh because, as I mentioned earlier, I just signed a 10-year loan for my air conditioning. And I, I don't think the air conditioning company, after seven years, is going to be like, hey, bud, it's all good. It's all, we, we forgive your debt. I don't think that's going to – I'd be cool if it did. I'd be very excited if it did. But I'm pretty sure – the mortgage company is not going to call me and say, it's been seven years. Well, according to Deuteronomy 15, you're all taken care of. Uh, because we recognize that, that that's a different kind of thing. That's a left-hand kingdom, right-hand kingdom thing. I'm reminded from our reading from a couple weeks ago. This is Romans chapter 5. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. While we were enemies of God, we're about to celebrate the birthday of this country. This country was founded on the idea that you stand up to your enemies, right? That's what the American Revolution was, stand up against injustice. And yet we see in Romans that we are the enemies of God through our sin, through our rebellion. Thank God that he doesn't take that mindset to stand up against his enemies. See, that is a wonderful message for religion, for a Messiah, for a Savior. That's a terrible foreign policy to turn the other cheek, to walk the extra mile, to give your cloak in addition to your tunic. This is why, to be quite frank, I get nervous when I see people talking about America as a Christian nation. Because Christianity, the teachings of Jesus, don't work so well when it comes to creating a government. Now, we can be based on Christian morality, that kind of thing, but Christianity, the teachings of Jesus, exist mostly with that right-hand kingdom exist with love and gospel and compassion and forgiveness. And that doesn't work in this broken world's government. We have to recognize that there is a difference. So what does that mean for us sitting here, right? It's great philosophical stuff to talk about. What does it mean for me? It means that you spend your life sitting at the intersection of these two kingdoms, and the, the shared land, if you will, between the left-hand kingdom law and order and the right-hand kingdom, gospel, grace, and love, and they share this lane, and that's where we live. And I would encourage you, when you encounter a situation, you have to react, pray. Pray for discernment, because there is no easy answer about which way to go every time. Sometimes the situation, like the executive director saying, hey, yeah, you owe us money, we're going to need that. We'll be as gracious as we can, but at the end of the day, we're a business. Or the youth leader saying, I forgive you. The different situations warrant different results. And so pray for discernment. Pray for wisdom. But my advice to you, as Christians, as often as you can, err on the side of the gospel. As often as you are able to, err on the side of grace. Because here's the thing, the world knows law. The world knows condemnation. They don't need help knowing how broken they are. So many people know how people judge them. They especially look at the church and see condemnation. It's that. That's not what we should stand for. That's not how we should stand out. 
We should stand out with compassion and mercy. We should stand out based upon, I don't know, the teachings of Jesus. So yes, we do exist in that left-hand kingdom, but may we shine with that right-hand kingdom, with the gospel, with grace, with forgiveness and love, because my friends, my brothers and sisters in the faith, the right-hand kingdom is for you. No matter what you have been through, no matter what condemnation you've received from the, from the left-hand kingdom, from the law and order of this world, no matter how much people tell you that you're not worth anything, God looks at you and says, you're worthy of me. You're worthy of my life. You're worthy of my love. Because I know you. Because I made you. God forgives us. God shows us grace. God gives us love that nobody else will. Not to the level that he does. Let's let that be our identity. Let's let that be how we stand out in this world by shining the gospel in all that we do. Let's celebrate God's grace. Amen? Amen.